This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, it's Mailbag Friday. Another episode. Second Mailbag this week, but uh, we got probably quite a few more questions today, don't we, to get through than what we had on, I believe, Tuesday when we recorded. Yeah. But hopefully, if you guys haven't done it already, you've had a chance to check out the Travion Longmire episode. Uh, we had him on, recorded it last night, this morning on Kentucky Sports Radio. He committed to Kentucky, so three commitments now in the class, but go check that one out if you haven't. Uh, it's not very long, so you could check that one out before you come listen to the mailbag. It'll, it'll double uh, double dip on this Friday. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll, you'll get a weekly rundown episode at some point this weekend as well. Uh, but, Derek, before we jump into the mailbag, a couple of things happened today. Hunter Salas. Five-star guard committed to Gonzaga. We have seen that trending that direction for a while now, and we will get more into that when it comes to Melbag because there is a question about it. But then the other news today around college basketball that I think just will influence the transfer portal even more is Shaka Smart leaving Texas to take the Marquette job. Yeah, um, a little surprising on the surface. Well, a couple things that have been rumored that Shaka might not be back at Texas, whether they would fire him or if he would leave. And as it appears, he has a – I think Jeff Goodman might be the only person who's reported as a done deal at this point. But Jeff Goodman reporting that Shaka will leave, uh, leave Texas for Marquette. He was at Texas for six seasons. And uh, he is a Wisconsin native, which I did not know that about Shaka until today. So a chance to go back to his home state. So maybe that makes some sense on his end. Why, you might ask, why are we talking about Shaka Smart? Uh, Sean, do you have the tweet pulled up? I don't have it pulled up. But J. Kyle Mann yesterday, so before this stuff went out, yesterday put out a tweet, and he works for the Ringer. Uh, I think briefly did something with Kyle Tucker, right? I think it. Yeah, on Locked On. On Locked On, yeah. So uh, I don't really know Kyle Mann's story. But uh, he tweeted that he had heard that Texas would be very interested in John Calipari and – Matter of fact, I do want to get that full tweet he, out. But he said, on the surface, you got it. Okay, got it. He ahead. tweeted it yesterday morning, so Thursday morning at 9.59. He said, I've had multiple people now tell me Texas would throw the kitchen sink at Calipari that they really want him. But I'm sure every school with an opening does, and the interest is supposedly one way. So that was yesterday morning, so before Shaka mm-hmm. Smart ever left Texas for Marquette. Which, you know, it's Texas we're talking about, the same school that was going to hire Nick Saban and the same school that was going to hire uh, Urban Meyer for, for football. Those, you know, they want to make a big splash. Um, but now that Texas is open and there was some scuttlebutt that uh, perhaps Cal would be interested. Sean, just what do you make of that whole situation? Is it anything to really to just gossip or is it really something you think uh, people should pay attention to? Because I, and I will say this too, the national media – all indications seem to be that Chris Beard from yeah. Texas Tech is the top target at Texas. Well, at what point does John Calipari come out with a tweet saying he's got the best job in basketball <laughs> and all that? How he always does. Um, I don't think I don't think he'll leave Kentucky for Texas. I, I don't see it. Maybe if it. I mean, obviously you, you can't give him another raise, right? Like if no. somebody does offer him, what what can you do? Can you just keep giving him raises? After the UCLA stuff come out, lifetime contract and everything like that, I don't see it. I don't either. No, I don't. I don't either. And the angle uh, that I thought might be relevant, and uh, you mentioned it earlier, just with the transfers. And uh, Jay Lucas obviously 
was at Texas prior to this year, but I, I checked in with um, someone, long-time listener to the show might remember, Brandon Jenkins, who's a national reporter for uh, national analyst for 24-7 sports. He played at Texas, still knows a lot of the players. Uh, but he, he did tell me that apparently Jay Lucas was not really heavily involved in any of the kids uh, who are currently on Texas's roster. So I thought that might have been a spot. Hey, maybe UK could pull a guard if someone wanted to go into the portal from there. But um, not to say UK still wouldn't pursue someone like that. It's just maybe there's not the familiarity that you might expect um, from having a former Texas staff member there. But I'm with you. I uh, there There is a case to be made that Texas, if, if Cal truly – and, again, I've been on record saying I don't think Cal's having another college job before he retires. Um, I think that's what I mean. I think he'll retire. I don't think he'll, you're not going to find a better college job than Kentucky. So I don't think he's going to be leaving here, but Texas could pay a lot of money. It's a recruiting hotbed. They have three five stars, I believe in the 22 class. It's a spot that should be better. Don't you agree? Like that school should not be as bad as they've made it to the, uh, second weekend one time since I was in middle school, which was way back in 2008. So that's just kind of a joke that uh they've not been more successful. So someone like that should be a good job for someone. I do not think that man will be John Calipari though. Considering that they were the the program that kind of networked themselves, right? You know the Longhorn yeah. Network. I mean, you <laughs> you would think that that would be uh, one of the elite programs, but it has not been. Uh, if anything else pops up on that, we'll be sure to get to it. But let's go ahead, Derek and. Jump straight into the mailbag here, unless there's something else you want to talk about there. No, no, that's good. I'm ready to go. So let's just jump in. I uh, see a football question right off the bat. So since we had Travion on uh, on the episode this morning, let's just jump in with Walker's question. Do you think Kentucky getting Keontae Goodwin will help quarterback recruiting? If they get Keontae Goodwin, then uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. Keontae, he just got a crystal ball from – my coworker Josh Edwards. Um, I'm assuming Josh talked to somebody to put that in. I know here lately, kind of the winds have been maybe shifting in UK's favor, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think the quarterback recruiting, it's all. I mean, I think all the eggs are in the basket for uh, Gavin Wimsett right now, and until he makes a decision, I just don't know how much we're going to hear about QB recruiting. But there's no question. I mean, there's no doubt that if Goodwin committed, it would be. It would only help, I mean, it would help QB recruiting, but also you're talking about a guy who would be, he would surpass Justin Rogers as the third highest rated recruit to ever commit to Kentucky. I mean, he is an elite offensive lineman. I think you're talking about a potential three and done guy in college. So what what the ripple effect would be from him, I'm not sure. Uh, but just getting a guy like that, I mean, he would be uh, truly an all-time commit for Kentucky. And kind of staying on football, but, putting basketball in there as well, Ben asked, what's more important for UK's two major sports next season, elite dominant point guard for basketball or above average quarterback play in football? It's a good question. I would say for Kentucky basketball to get back to what everyone wants it to be, I'm going to say elite dominant point guard because I I think that the football team can still have some success with that offense and then what they've been able to do running the football for years the defense is good. I kind of think it's more more important for UK to find a point guard on the basketball side. Yeah. Um, and I guess you could also – well, I mean, we know the difference right now is obviously with football, we know it will be Will Levis, Bo Allen, or Joey Gatewood who will be doing that. Whereas with basketball, it's still <laughs> kind of hard to know. I mean – Football, I think you're going to have an unproven option no matter what. I know Levis has played a little bit. Same with Gatewood. These are guys who have played some. Bo, not really anywhere. I mean, even for Bo, not even nearly as much as those other two guys. Uh, I mean, you're talking about Gatewood and Levis, guys who have thrown touchdown passes in collegiate games. Uh, Bo has obviously only completed three passes his whole career. Uh, well, just one year. But with basketball, I mean, yeah, you could – we might not know who it is, but it could truly be an elite, you know, college player. Um so, I would, yeah, I would agree. I think – I don't know. That's, that's a really good question because I could see Kentucky basketball still being fine if you have enough pieces around and just having a an okay point guard. But for football, yeah, you can make the same case for football that 
Well, if the quarterback play is not as great as we all hope it will be, they could probably still just turn and hand the ball off to Chris Rodriguez and do what they did last year and and be fairly successful. But I think uh, having an above-average quarterback and uh, certainly above-average point guard would be would be best for both programs because I think you're putting a ceiling on what you can do if you don't have those things. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And the next question comes from the Kentucky 15, and this is the one I was hinting at in the opening of the show, talking about Hunter Salas. That's why I didn't want to get into it at that point. Has it been publicly documented anywhere with an actual source that the Salas family stopped considering UK due to the nastiness of some UK fans? Is this conjecture, rumors, hearsay, or have they said this publicly? So, do what? You want to take the first part of this? Yes. So, Kyle Tucker put out on Twitter this morning, you know, mentioning that Salas was kind of turned off, like the Salas uh, camp was turned off by the nastiness of UK fans this season. Whether that came from the the kneeling at the Florida game in January or just the struggles overall. And I think I talked to you about this months ago that, and then, you know, Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio discussed it this morning on KSR, that Salas was trending on Zaga before January in the game at Florida. So the struggles, the one and six start to the season, I had heard that Salas family had contacted UK and said, do, is this really a place where we want to send our kid? I don't know what to make of it. Honestly, I don't. But I think, too, obviously David Sis came out and said that the style of play had a lot to do with it as well. So I don't just want to say that it was fan frustration and fan nastiness on social media. I think it just kind of all factors kind of played against Kentucky in this one. And then just Kentucky just didn't get him. Yeah. I don't – I think – you know, you got to take into account, too, he never visited Kentucky. Uh, at the end of the day, the school he committed to, Gonzaga, was the only school he did take an official visit to, and that was prior right. to uh, prior to the pandemic. So I think he went with where he was familiar. But, I mean, we would be remiss to not say, though, Sean, whenever he got that offer, I think we all thought, and it wasn't just us, I think it was some national analysts thought he would be committed to Kentucky perhaps pretty quick after he got that offer. Somebody and, thought uh, before the fall signing period. Yeah, so it didn't end up happening. Um. I think I, I don't know. I there, think there's been some in. other good discussion on this. Uh, I don't know what I can really add to it that other people haven't. I mean, yeah, Kentucky's got a mega fan base. I wouldn't let the Twitter mob. I think that's a poor way to evaluate a, a fan base. I guess I would say because that's not real life, and people online are generally worse than they are <laughs> in the real world. Uh, but it is something to think about, though, right? Well. If, if you get a recruit saying that, or well, and again, like you said, it's not. I, I believe that I, whether or not the family has actually come out and said anything on UK, I, I don't think they have. No, they have. I would say I do think people at UK might believe that that was a, a factor in the decision, though. Well, coming from the person, or coming from the group that that it supposedly came from, that first put it out there to some media members, and I, I don't, I'm not going to say who that is, obviously. Uh, because it wasn't directly said to me that someone passed it along to me. Um, even though it hasn't been documented, if, if that group says it, then it probably was a conversation. Yeah, like it, was, it was clearly a conversation with the UK staff at some point is what I'll leave it at. Uh, but, I mean, Kentucky lost him not only if that is part of it, style of play. I mean, Gonzaga is the hot team right now, right? If they yeah. complete this thing and they do go undefeated, and they're expected to be loaded again next year, there's a, probably a good possibility they go into next season as the favorite to win it again if they win it this year. Yeah, I mean, they still might be uh, adding Chet Holmgren, the number one player in the country, to their class. And uh, Walker Kessler was rumored to be going there. I mean, Mark Fuse got it rolling out there in uh, Spokane. If he completes this, how wild is it that in an era with one and dones and everything else that Gonzaga's kind of taken over the collegiate game and being the the cool school. We didn't see these kids like this go to Gonzaga 10 years ago. Five even years ago. even 5 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> none of these kids went to Gonzaga. That that's not what they were built on. Uh Mark Fuse never leaving Spokane. No, uh, he's, he's not. Like it's it's not happening. I know a lot of people have 
mentioned that and stuff, and I've, I've seen people speculate whether he would take an elite job. No. Why would he? Look what he's doing there. Well, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I think it might have been Adam Lockett who tweeted it this morning, but I agreed with him um, with with how good they could be next year. It's kind of true that, like, I mean, and it, it's always a West Coast problem anyway, though. You run into it, you know, with the time zones. But you really don't hear much from Gonzaga once conference play starts. They're not challenged at all. I mean, I guess BYU this year was a tournament team that was in their conference. Um who else is out there? St. Mary's. St. Mary's. No one else really, though, who's going to, like, push them year in and year out. Portland, uh, Pepperdine, I think, is a West Coast Conference team. You get the gist. These are not teams that are no. going to be able to compete with what Gonzaga is doing. But, you know, it is kind of tough, though, right, to make them – what, are you going to make Gonzaga start playing games at 4 o'clock their time, you know, during the day? Like, it's going to be a tough thing to do to get those guys on more primetime situations. But – I don't want to sidetrack this conversation, but if they if if Cal and and few are at least talking about playing this year, get them on the schedule, man. Yeah, do it. Yeah, do home it and away, home. not neutral site. Home and away. Yeah, bring I them would to go, go out to the time. go out to the kennel, whatever they call it out there in uh, <laughs> Gonzaga. I think it'd be great for college basketball. Kentucky Daily goes to the kennel. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going out there for sure. Uh, next question comes from. Let's see here. Kenneth, what in the world are B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark thinking? And B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, all in caps, by the way. Is returning to Kentucky for another year really that bad? Has the one-and-done culture finally caught up with us? Parentheses, players leaving regardless of how they performed. That's the frustrating part, right? When you have when you have these kids who Terrence Clark pretty much never put on a UK jersey. I mean, that's the thing. I remember one significant moment from him, and that was the Georgia Tech game where he played very well. Outside of that, Terrence Clark didn't do anything in Kentucky. B.J. Boston had one of the worst shooting seasons that I've ever seen by a player at UK, not just elite player, player in general from three-point range, uh, and then just didn't really do anything. Finished with zero points in the season finale, his final game at UK. I do think that this is a problem, and I don't want to just put it on culture. I just think that it's a problem now to where if that's the kids that you're going to recruit, those kids are not coming back to Kentucky regardless of how they perform. If they come in with the mindset that they're leaving, they're leaving. Yeah, I mean, that's it's maybe a little unfortunate for Cal that – well, I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, it's, this is the path he's chosen to to build his program on. But you kind of got the worst of both right there with with the one and done stuff because he had Terrence who, you know, didn't really play because he got injured and still, even though he's not going to be a first round pick most likely, unless he really blows up here at the combine or well, whatever workouts they're allowed to do when teams can evaluate them. Unless he blows up there, he's probably not getting picked in the first round. Um, and then BJ has a overall. Uh, a disappointing season based on that's why that's how I'll phrase it based on what was expected of him. But yes, you know, you maybe had the few days there when Cal talked about guys needing to be realistic, but it doesn't seem to really matter. They still leave. And I said it, and I know it's it's easier said than done, but yeah, like I don't, I, I think at this point you, you got to try to avoid those kinds of players. And he had no way of knowing, I guess Cal that is that BJ would, would not be as good as maybe what he was billed to be. Um, but it's that that's what's what's bad for UK. You can't because you didn't get anything out of them really. You're not going to get another year. They BJ took a lot of shots. Was a pretty big focal point. I thought at one point during the season, maybe it was the Auburn game, somewhere along there when they were on that losing streak or or in the midst of a long, you know, losing six out of seven or whatever. It did feel like no matter how poorly he played, he was going to get to play, and it did feel a little bit like maybe it was Cal trying to help him out with draft stock. And that was not good for the program. He ended up getting to a point where I think, I think he was fine on the floor. He still wasn't scoring a ton, but he wasn't a liability as much. Um, I don't know. Sean. I think it's just a tricky situation. Don't you? Cause I mean, you, you want to try to get the best kids possible, but I mean, it's, I think now more than ever, it's like, it's really putting pressure on those kids to perform really well. If you know, you're not going to have any chance. I mean, it's, that's what, that's the thing. And I've said it on here. It's just, it's, you can tell the difference in mentality though. Isaiah Jackson probably did not view himself as much of a ready-made NBA guy as B.J. and Terrence did. Yeah. So despite being 
listed, I mean, he's going to be drafted higher than either of those guys this year if he stays in the draft. Yet, he at the very least in his mind and his father and mother too, I guess, but they all in, in their interviews are saying, well, we're going to leave the door open. We just kind of want to see because they had a – I don't think they expected this to happen as soon, whereas with BJ and Terrence, I mean, the situations were, were bad for both, and, again, it just didn't matter. So I think that's where the fan base is really probably fed up with one and done more than anything. Yeah, and I think the the whole culture when it comes to players leaving, regardless how they performed, is more of a problem when it comes to guys leaving after their second year or something. Like EJ Montgomery, like he should have been on this roster this past season. Uh, Ashton Hagens, those guys I really tie into culture because those are the guys that you look at that could get the year three and four in your program. Where is EJ Montgomery playing now? That's a good question. Somebody tweeted that earlier. I thought Where I was Ashton Higgins? I know he got cut from the whatever was going on in the G League or whatever for breaking protocol. I don't know if he's showed up anywhere else yet, but that's just the difference, though. I think in college, well, I don't know if I can say that for all of college basketball, but perhaps the the top kids at UK recruits is it's just maybe college basketball truly is in their eyes just not a very good option anymore, and they're willing to. I mean. E.J. Montgomery, if he ever gets to the NBA, is going to have to have such a difficult path. And, again, maybe maybe if he stayed at Kentucky two more years, it wasn't going to help him either way, so why not go get started? Um, that That's something that fans do not like, though. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know who, well, who's in the right or the wrong. But, what upsets you know, college basketball more? is just very different now than how it used to be. What upsets fans more, Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, or E.J. Montgomery, Ashton Hagens? And those decisions, what do you think upsets them more? Can I say all of them? I mean, in their own way. That's, that's fair. Yeah, all of them. They're all alike. Just uh, two of them were kind of billed as stars. I think where the other two were good, but I don't think that they ever. I mean, EJ coming in, somebody decided to rank him ahead of Zion Williamson, and that kind of made it <laughs> worse for him because I don't even know that evaluation, but. Um, Kenneth actually has another question too. What are your thoughts on Kendrick Perkins throwing shade at Coach Cal after Rick Pitino made the NCAA tournament? It's just stupid. I mean, yeah, it's really stupid. Like his job, I guess, is just a Cal recruited him. Those are the people that I don't like. Uh, I hope fans can distinguish true media people from people like Kendrick Perkins, I hope which him being a former NBA player probably helps with that. But like committed to him. Yeah, yeah, he was he was committed to Cal at Memphis. I don't know what happened there. Let's just spoil that. But it's I know this is gonna sound ridiculous because Kendrick Perkins played in the NBA. Clearly he knows a lot about basketball, but like his opinion on that is no different than really I mean it doesn't carry any weight. Like, his like what would Kendrick that. Perkins really know about, you know his about opinion. Cal's coaching ability. His opinion on that was about as good as his offensive game was in the NBA. And that was not good. Yeah. <laughs> just no, just my two cents on it. Like, I didn't, I didn't put a whole lot of weight into it. I didn't either. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was dumb. I mean, but it got people talking about it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. You want to read one of mine now? Let's see. From, uh, from back to Final Four. It's yeah, a long one. I got so, the same one. It's a long one for sure. So we'll try to answer this in parts. When projecting the future of U.K. basketball and the rapidly changing landscape of men's college basketball, I sense trepidation in Derek's belief that rosters can, can consistently be built from transfers. I tend to agree. Would you guys care to elaborate on, your, uh, elaborate on this on your thoughts? So, yeah, kind of just what I said the other day. I mean, it's clearly the route Kentucky is going. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a good route in, in, in some ways, um, but I, I still think it's just tough to to. I thought you made a good point, Sean. Getting getting veteran guys who have played college basketball who are further out of the AAU system, guys who know how to play, that is a positive. I still think getting a bunch of brand new guys every single year and hoping that it all meshes in one season is still tough to win at the highest level that way. I think you can have good teams doing that. I think you have good talent, but I, veteran, I think yeah. your veteran teams are the teams that are doing well right now, right? 
like not yeah. just your veterans, but your veterans who have been in your program. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a weird Sweet 16 right now. I mean, uh, when you look at Gonzaga and Baylor, what do you think? Yeah, guys who have been around uh, winning programs too, last year, especially Gonzaga. Why, why doesn't he, while we're on the, why doesn't Scott Drew get more attention? Like, why is it Chris Beard for Texas? Why isn't Scott Drew ever mentioned for one of the elite jobs or something? Like, what he's done at Baylor, right? I mean, especially the last couple of years. Might have won a national championship a year ago, had the tournament been played. Was it Seth Davis who said he had the best rebuild in sports history? Like, Somebody did, which is like a little he's out been there. there. One, he's shown loyalty. Two, really good coach. And then three, he's he's got Baylor to an elite level. I mean – Kentucky played Kentucky in the Elite Eight in 2012, and I know there were some people that were worried about that matchup. And then now look what he's doing at Baylor. I mean, it's sustained. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. At the, he's never been to Final Four though, right? And no. He had not won the Big 12, which nobody had really won the Big 12 besides Kansas in a long time. So they did break through with that. Whereas Chris Beard just two years ago was in coaching. You know, they he nearly did. won the title. Maybe should have won the title. So I think until he, you know, gets to that level. But I agree with you. I mean, Scott Drew has been thrown out for um, Indiana, that job, you know, his ties to that state. But I, I doubt he leaves. You don't leave Baylor right now when you got them at the highest level to go do a rebuild somewhere else. Just I just don't think that happens as much in college sports anymore. But uh, there was some more to this question. Um, he mentions Arkansas with Eric Musselman have shown it's possible with transfers. Um, but is it possible with UK and Cal going forward within the context and culture that Cal has created at UK? Uh, I guess he's asking to blend to blend these transfers in with other guys. I, it's tough. I mean, it's going to be difficult either way. I, I think Cal sees this as a as an avenue. If you're not going to get the elite kids anymore, try to get the best college players you can to come in here and just honestly, Sean, I think it's just a lot of hoping at this point. I, I don't think that you should give up entirely on high school kids, which is uh, what he asked there in the yeah. bottom of the question. Because uh, I still think that you want to try to recruit the elite of the elites, right? I mean, Wagner Jr. is a pretty much a Kentucky lock here in a couple mm -hmm. of years, like as of right now. You don't want to not – you're not going to – the Terrence Clark and B.J. Bostons, when they're the elite of the elite when it comes to recruiting class, you're still going to take those kids. But yeah. I just don't know – it's just such a tricky thing right now, man. Like with the way with the G league and then the NBA and all this stuff. I mean, you got kids with, with egos. AAU is great for showcase showcasing athletes, but it also showcases a lot of egos. And I just think that that's a hard thing now in life in coaching in any sport. You get an 18 year old kid that, Derek, a lot of times, I mean, you get kids who feel like they already have, have earned everything. And I just yeah. think that that's a, that's a major problem. I mean, you look at the situations and the, the transfers. Like, look at Davion Mintz coming to Kentucky. We didn't even know anything about him. I didn't know anything about him. Hadn't played and kind of stole the fan base's heart, like the hearts this year, right? But the way he played with his effort on a bad team. Yeah. And I'm not saying that. You know, every situation is going to end up like Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston. It doesn't. But the perfect blend for me would be to still try to recruit the elite of the elite. But if it comes to having to fill a roster, like let's face it, Jamal Baker and Johnny Juzang were were recruited to fill a need. They were emergency options because they needed shooting. I go out and get somebody from the portal if I'm filling a need for my roster for one season. If it's yep. not somebody that's going to be in your program long term, go get go get a transfer. Yeah, I just don't think as long as Cal's here, it's just. Well, let's let's see what ask you and where to do. Let's see what Dante Allen. Let's Look what's happening in Florida. Half their half their teams in the portal. Yeah. I mean, it's they just... are Noah Lock. Yeah, Noah Lock went in the portal yesterday. Trey Mann's going pro. They're they're looking at it for sure rebuild next year probably, but. uh I don't know. I, I kind of just want to see more, see how this plays out before saying it's, it will work or it won't work. I, I do. Yeah. What I said though, I do truly feel like I don't. I don't. I think he's just kind of experimenting at this point. You're going to see, and he's going to let's see how well he can do blending all these guys together. Will it be extreme every year and having to replace eight guys? 
if that's the case, then no, I'm going to say that it's going to be really difficult to to do it. But again, I mean, I'm willing to give him a chance to to Cal it is to see if he can make it work. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, next question comes from Alan. Multiple questions again. One, in your opinion, will the SEC interconference transfer rule be lifted? The longer it takes, one has to think the worse UK's chances are to land Powell, Pinson, whomever. So I'll answer that one. I do think that that is going away. Yeah. I don't think that Cal would even or Kentucky would even contact Pinson or Powell if they didn't think that it was going away. Given all the other things that's happening, the rule changes, the transfer rule, you're not going to put restrictions on kids if you're going to remove the entire thing of being able to be eligible immediately after a transfer. I just think that it all goes away. And the second part of that question, any rumblings on Kellen Grady, Mintz, and or Keon? It's very quiet. Very quiet. I don't really know what to make of uh, the Keon Brooks situation. I'm with you. I think with the SEC rule, with Auburn offering Pinson, and then, of course, Kentucky reaching out, I think there's probably a thought uh, within that group, within the coaching fraternity or whatever, that it's going to go away. The ACC has already gotten rid of it. Um, I don't know if any other conference has, but sometimes there's a domino effect once one league does it. So um, we'll see. We'll see there. But uh, then we'll obviously see what happens, too, with Keon Brooks. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And Davion Mintz. I mean, here's the thing. Are we going to go through a full week here and not have a decision? When it comes to one of those guys, are we going to make it through the weekend and get to Monday and still be speculating whether Davion Mintz is going to be back next year, whether Keon Brooks is going to be back next year? Like, Does this kind of just wait until the season is entirely over, the NCAA tournament ends, and everybody can kind of see roster shake up, where head coaches go, things like that? I mean, here, here's the thing. like Indiana doesn't have a head coach. So if anybody wants to go to Indiana, are you pulling the trigger right now to go to Indiana? Or are you going to wait and see who's hired? Like who leaves the port? Who leaves from Indiana when the, when a new coach is hired? Like that's why I'm telling you the portal is going to get the 1,400 names. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, you got 16 teams left um, where kids will be making decisions, uh, which, you know, it's so odd this year, though, so many lower seeds. I don't know how many guys will actually be on UK's radar from some of those schools. A few in teams as well still remain. That's true. Yeah, I mean – that's that's what you're you're setting the over under at fourteen hundred. Fourteen hundred is where I'm putting it at, <laughs> because obviously you're still going to have some coaching shakeup with people yeah. leaving. Uh, it might get there. It's yeah. going to get to a thousand before the final four is set. That's just and, crazy. And when and then after that, we're not even the season's not even over, Derek, and it's going to be at a thousand names. Like that, I'm going to set it at fourteen hundred. So we're going to do our daily transfer portal update. To see how many how many people are in the transfer portal, but we'll we'll continue to update things like that when it comes to to the roster and everything. Uh, next question comes from Ethan. Who is the go to player for next year's team as it stands? <laughs> uh, oh, as it stands. As it stands, I would probably go Oscar. Right? Is that yeah. that's your best player on the roster as it stands right now? So are we saying as a player of the year? So as it stands, we're saying ask you, Dante, Ware, Toppin, and Sheboy. Uh, and then I guess the three commitments too. Yeah, Hickman and Hopkins. And Collins. Yeah, I, I got with you. I'd, be, I'd say Oscar. Yeah, it's preseason Big 12 player of the year for a reason. That's... So the roster needs some work so we can agree on. I think <laughs> Oscar's a good player. I just don't – I don't think you want him to be an option number one next year. 
And I don't think he will be option number one next year, but I think he will be a good player at Kentucky. I think he'll fit in real well. I think he'll work hard. He'll be someone Cal likes. Um, who? All right, so who would your number two be? Dante? Had to be, right? For Toppin. Dante's much more of a scorer threat, though, yeah. for sure. Yeah, Dante. Dante would be, too. Yeah. And so how's Cal feeling right now? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Probably sitting up uh, watching Alaskan Bush people trying to figure out what his roster is going to look like next year. But I'm going to say Cal's – I'm going to say – Derek, I don't know. Is he feeling good? Do you think he knows something that we don't know right now? Like, is that why it's so quiet? I mean, it's super quiet. He just lost a five-star guard to Gonzaga. And yeah. here we are talking – there's there's names in the portal that we don't even know if he's contacted, like that we thought would have probably been an immediate contact. I mean, how much how much contact is there between Kentucky and Marcus Carr? Well, I don't I don't think Super we quiet, know, right? Yeah. Like, what's going on with Justin Powell? What's going on with Davion Mitz's decision? What, like, is it feels like there's just going to be an avalanche news when all this stuff actually does happen? And it's just yeah. Kinda, is he going to hijack the Final Four weekend and just kind of take over and it just be all UK news in a stretch of days there? Yeah, I could see – I don't even know what this – I mean, we we truly are, like, in territory we don't know anything about. No, like this – the portal, and so this is all new. Like, we're we're doing mailbag right now, and some of these questions, guys, that you're sending in, yeah, we would love to be able to give you concrete answers on it, but a lot (laughs) of it, we're in the same boat you are because, one, no one's talking. Nobody's talking to the staff. Cal hasn't spoken since his last radio appearance. Like – we don't know, right? Like there's yeah. there's nothing to go off of. I mean, names are going in the portal. I wake up and there's 15 names in the portal before I've opened my eyes, before the last time I closed them. Like it's it's crazy to think how this thing just keeps inflating to the point that it's going to get to 1,400 names. That's I'm putting it right now. I mean, and think about the Power 5 jobs now that are, that are open. Indiana is still open. Obviously, Marquette just got filled, but Texas is open and Oklahoma is open. Those are all pretty good jobs, I would say. Like those are solid college. Like I think coaches would would really be interested in all those positions. So who knows? Whatever you, when those need filled, when you yeah, those more is going to open, which means what, more names in the transfer portal. Yeah, this whole process is just going to go on and on and on. Fourteen <laughs> names like. will go in the portal, but I'm willing to bet a high percentage of those guys end up going back to the school that they tried to transfer from. Not maybe not. I'm not going to put it at like 30 percent, but I'm going to say quite a few because at some point you don't have room for all these people. Yeah, and I think some guys who are going on the portal right now. Dare I compare it? Well, it's a little, it's a little different. It's not exactly the same because technically, if you enter the portal, the school does not have to uh, keep your financial aid or whatever. That's my understanding, right? That I don't. I think if you go in there, you you do risk not being able to go back to your old school. So I'm not saying this is exactly the same situation. But maybe if you're good enough and you know that your old school would certainly want to take you back, could people just kind of treat it like the NBA draft? Test test the waters of college, uh, just trying to see yeah. who'd be interested in you? Like, think about Kellen Grady. Like, if Grady wanted to go back to Davidson, like, they're not going to tell him, no, you can't come back here after scoring 18 points a game for the last four years. So you can kind of view and really kind of make the best decision, I would say. Well, and, and that's the other factor in this. I don't want, want to get long-winded on the mailbag episode because we still have other questions to get to, but we don't know anything about the NBA draft right now. When it comes to declaring how long they have, when when they have to remove their name, just, I mean, you're going yeah. to see guys declare for the draft, decide not to go to the NBA draft, withdraw, and then probably go on the transfer portal. So this transfer portal thing is not going to slow down in April. I think it's just going to keep progressing as we go through the spring and towards the summer. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see exactly what happens with it. Next question comes from Jason. <laughs> Another one of those questions. What's the best case scenario for a starting lineup for next season, including best available transfers? Jason, the best case for me would be Stephen Curry, Somehow decides to come back to college. No, I'm kidding. The best case for me would be obviously Oscar at the five. Oh, boy. 
This is tricky. From what let's we know, five would be a lock if Mintz came back. I think he'd be a lock as well. And I, yeah, that's two. So let's just say that those two things happen. Let's say that Mintz does return. Let's just go off of that. Mintz in there, uh, Oscar in there. If Keon's back, does Keon start? Probably. Here's what I would say off the guys we know now, and I know some people don't think Mintz is good enough to be their point guard, but for what we know now, here's what I would say. Mintz at the point, Grady and Pal as your wings, Keon four, Oscar five. That's just a scenario I thought about that I think could be pretty productive. And it's, yeah. And we know that those are people that they have reached out to and contacted, which is realistic possibilities. We, I don't really know what to make of Marcus Carr right now. I honestly don't. I don't think that's going to be Kentucky. No, it it doesn't seem like it's trending in that at all. And, uh, I mean, there's other names and stuff. We'll have to wait and see exactly what happens with it. But ask us that question again <laughs> in about four weeks because I'm setting it at four weeks. We are still going to be sitting here with these question marks with, like, blank cards that we have no idea who's on the other side when you flip it. What game is that? Guess who? Yeah. Yeah. So we're pretty much playing a game of guess who with the entire transfer portal right now and the guys Kentucky has on their roster. There's going to be a name too, Derek, that we don't even know and we've never heard of that's going to end up going in this portal and UK is going to be linked to them at some point. Yes. Because it always happens. Who had heard? I never, I didn't even know Davion Mintz existed until last April and ended up being a pretty good thing. So there's someone out there playing basketball somewhere that we don't even know that I think Kentucky will be linked to. Uh, at some point, it might end up being the last piece that they add to a roster. It could it could happen in May? It could happen in June? We don't know. Uh, next question comes from Brandon. What do you believe Cal's last year would be? My guess would be the year DeWan Wagner Jr. is here. Derek, a lifetime contract, right? But it, technically, mm-hmm. lifetime doesn't mean the rest of his life. It could happen at any moment. Uh, it could happen tomorrow. It could happen a year from now, three years from now. I don't really know because I don't know what Cal's goals are. But it seems like on his last radio appearance, he's it's always been about the program, and, it, and he never put the program above individual players is what it's been for 12 years. But I don't know if you were, if you were listening to this or not and, and pulled because there was so much said that night. But one thing stood out to me that John Calipari said, and he kept talking about that it's not acceptable at Kentucky. And he mentioned, I'm the head coach here to win champ, to win national championships. It was one of the first times I thought I'd ever really heard him say that. So, and here's the deal, right? You win a second one, even through the struggled season of the NIT in 2013, even through this season. If he gets a second one, you can't dispute anything that he's done at UK because there's only one dude that's won more than one, and that's Adolph Rupp. Yeah. There's some motivation there to win another one. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's – Cal Cal is really not, like, that old in turn. I mean, is he – I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's coached a long time. He's 62. I mean, there are guys in college basketball coaching in their 70s, like some of the best coaches out there still. I mean, he – he could coach 10 more years if he wanted to. I don't think he'll coach 10 more years at Kentucky, though. Um, but I'm just saying I don't think it's imminent that he's going to be getting out of the game. So I could see the Wagner year if they win it. Maybe he wants to go out on top. I just I don't know how he thinks, though, or how he operates. But I think I think if things turn around for him this year and they, they play better, and maybe a lot of it's just going to be based on the change in landscape, though, Sean. I mean, maybe college basketball looks so different five years from now that guys like Cal, who, whose best success came in different eras, maybe they just decide they don't want to try to adapt anymore. Yeah. I'm, they get I mean, I think you're going to see a new breed of coaches coming up who do really well with these changes that are coming, and those will be the guys. Maybe we're not even talking about them right now. Um, but it's really hard to put a time on when Cal. It is. I, just, I don't know anything about what Cal wants or anything no. like that. It, so. I set the transfer portal at 1,400. I'm going to set Cal at three to seven years. Like, I, 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 I don't think he's leaving right now, and I, I don't think he'll go above seven. I mean, 20 years at Kentucky, ugh, that's a long time. I mean, if, uh, if it gets to 19 uh, to 20 seasons at Kentucky, that's that seems like the – Your 13's coming up, right? Yeah. 
I'll put it at 15. Yeah. That's why I was thinking three to seven. And I don't know anything about it. I just know that this job is, I mean, it's brutal. It's tough on you. And I would have thought maybe five years when he got here. That's how long he would have been here. And he, I mean, the Cavs rumors, which were more than rumors, I mean, that was reports that he could have accepted I didn't think the it Cavs job. Yeah, I mean, if, if had he left in, it would have been after five, I believe. So, or would have been after four. Yeah, had, after four. Yeah, had had they won that championship. Oh, sorry, it would have been after five. Yeah, yeah, because the NIT year was your four. Had they won that championship in 2014, I think yeah. he was gone. Yeah, two championships in five years. What else can you do, really? I mean, yeah, you can win some more. But you're talking about a coach, Derek, that was very, very realistic and close to winning four to five championships in his first five to six years. They were right there. A, a Final Four loss to UConn, a national title loss to UConn, a loss to Wisconsin, a, the lead eight disappointment loss to West Virginia's first year. It's a program that very easily could have won three to four instead of just one. I think that's what makes it so deflating for UK fans. It's because you felt like they were the better team a lot of those years. Yeah, I felt like they, yeah, I felt like they had the best team in 2010, 2012, and 2015. 2011 was a great run, same with 2014. Obviously, they had a lot of talent in 2014, but that year was so strange because they beat all – they took out a lot of great teams to get to that championship game just to lose to a UConn team that – Had a good backcourt. Seven seed, yeah, I mean, they had a good backcourt, but I felt like – I, I thought for sure Kentucky was winning that game the whole day leading up to it. I just didn't think Kentucky was going to be able to beat all those other teams and lose to UConn. So that was disappointing. But I think whenever you have the best team and don't win, that's that's the ones that really – like I don't – like had they won it in 2014, it would have been a great story, but I don't feel like they should have won it in 2014. No, it, it, it makes sense. That UConn loss frustrates me more than 2011, though, just because not only did it happen in the title game, but I felt like the run that they went on to get there – and everything that they overcome and then didn't top it off. I think that made it more frustrating. But here's what I'll say. Oh, yeah. Well, one more thing on, on this. Let, let's say Cal makes it seven more years, and he gets it figured out this offseason, finds a way to get Kentucky moving back in the right direction, Derek. He's played four Final Fours in five years, had them in the conversation, win a national championship. Who's to say that the Cal era doesn't have a rough middle that just kind of had a lot of disappointment, a lot of losses, not getting back to Final Fours. Who's to say he doesn't close it with at the end, winning two championships in five years or something? That's yeah. the thing. He, he, I don't want to rule it out because it's John Calipari. We've seen him go on runs and and put Kentucky in a spot where, when it's all said and done, that five year stretch, even though it included one championship, people would go back to that right now if they could, and even take the Final Four losses if they could win one of the next five. They would do it all again. I mean, it's just going to be different, though. If he does have this second act, I guess you could phrase it that way. Like, it's just going to be different. It's going to have to be different from the first. We've already seen that. Like, you're not going to have the same kind of kids. At least he's not really proven here lately that he's going to get those kind of kids that he had before. So, um, so let's do this one question here since it ties in from Michael. Okay. When will Kentucky win another college basketball championship? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Uh, Derek, I'm. they'll win one in the next five years. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I just think they're so hard to win. I don't. If we're sitting here on episode 1000 and they haven't won one, then I'll I'll have a nice big uh, plate of crow. But I think they're going to win one in the next five years. I really do. If if Cal decides that he wants to be at Kentucky for that long, I just think that there's going to be some desire there to not suck again. <laughs> and I think that knowing Cal and his ego, if – if some other things didn't piss him off, this season had to literally piss him off to the point that he wants to make it a statement. Yeah. Well, I guess my thing to this question is I just that's just not how I operate when I think about college basketball. I just I think it's so hard, and I think it's the worst sport in terms of determining a, a true champion because of the nature of a single elimination tournament. So I don't. More so, instead of saying they'll win one in the next five years, I guess I would say I could see Kentucky again being the number one team in the country in the next five years. But does that translate to a title? Hard to say. But I know people, I guess that's where I, I mean, Kentucky fans, obviously, they've, they've won a title, eight, eight of them, 
pretty much what every decade besides the 2000s, they've won a title basically in the program's history. So I, I get that that's the expectation. I just think it's very, very difficult, more more difficult than any sport. Like you can look at Alabama basketball or football, look at the way they recruit, look at the way Clemson recruits, and you can say, like, it's a pretty safe bet one of those two teams will win the title almost any year, or Ohio State. Because that's just the nature of the beast in football. It's a lot harder to say that in basketball. Yeah. Even if you have the best team, it's hard to say you're going to win it. So I'm not as confident, I would say, as you are, that they will win one of the next five. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that they might. You know, I think they could be very good in these next five years. You want to go ahead and read uh, Dalton's? Yeah. We still have a few more, but let's get let's get to his as an icebreaker here. Yeah, we'll get to – so my brother asks, with Kentucky having disappointing seasons in both football and basketball, can the Reds make it the trifecta, the trifecta for the year? And I say, hell yeah, <laughs> they can. They uh, can, but given given uh, the way it's kind of trending, wouldn't it be – wouldn't it fit everything else if the Reds just went and had a magical season this year when the others I'd love to see good? it. I'd love to see it. But, uh, no, I'm cautiously optimistic on the Reds. I might as well be this time of year, right? I mean, before they – We probably have a lot of – we probably have a lot of Reds fans that listen to this podcast. I'd say so. I'd say we do. And uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more Reds. Uh, not not a lot. Obviously, this is a UK podcast. We'll keep it on while you tune in. But, uh, no, I, I'm excited for it to get going. I mean, it's hard to believe. It's six days away, opening day. So, it's almost here. But, crazy. Uh, yeah, I think history would tell you it's a pretty safe bet when September gets here. We're not going to be too happy with, the, with this Reds bunch. <laughs> uh, we got four questions left all from uh, DMs here. Justin says, Sean, I might be late on mailbag questions, but I've thought about one for a while. Justin, you're never late on mailbag. Uh, does it really matter if Kentucky adds multiple three-point threats if the offense itself doesn't change? The current offense isn't geared towards shooting threes at all. Just an idea that it requires a change of philosophy and not just adding as many shooters as possible. Well, when, when it comes to philosophy, in my opinion, yeah, like if you change the philosophy and you become a team that shoots 33s a game, then that's an entire just complete makeover of what you've been wanting to do. But I can't help but think, Derek, that they could still be effective and do things well if they just get some skill, better skill set players on the floor. Like, I just don't want to see dead spots offensively. Just remove the dead spots. If you're not a good offensive player, you can't play. Yeah. Like, that's, that's I want five guys on the floor that can put the ball in the basket in some way, whether it be from shooting the basketball, driving the basketball, posting up, doing something. Like, you just – you can't have anyone – you can't be playing four-on-five, three-on-five offensively and be successful. Like, I, mean, I don't think Cal is ever going to have a strategy where he wants them, you know, like having a set number of threes he wants them to take per game. Do you see that? I, I just don't see that being. No, and it's like going back to go, – let's go back 12 years. Ramon Harris, time at Kentucky. Razor, Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon. Was Ramon a good offensive player? I'm going to say no, but honestly, I really don't remember much about Razor Ramon. Uh, but no, obviously he was not. Uh, and not just guy. not just using Ramon as an example. You could go down the list and use all kinds of examples. But those guys just they, – they kind of were dead spots that you hid back then on offensively, but they were known as elite defenders. Derek Jasper, another one at Kentucky during that time. Uh, Billy Gillespie had a team that was full of dead spots. Other outside Ramel Bradley and Jamal Crawford, Patrick Patterson that year. Uh, that's just a team that just really pops out in my mind. But you, you, I just think that you don't need those guys in there cluttering things up offensively. And if you're still going to play double post, while that's not a popular form, and I still think that Cal is going to roll out his double post at times because that's just who he is. He's ingrained in who he is and who he has been for 30 years. But I could still see it at least improving to the point to where if you've got guys out there that can knock down shots, it can help you offensively. It certainly can't hurt. How many times did they throw it out and it was Jacob Toppin standing wide open three-point line? Imagine if that's Justin Powell. At least that shot's going in more than it's going out. When they played Florida and Florida went to that zone at Rupp, I mean, you were there watching too in person. They they just were not concerned about Jacob (laughs) over there knocking down shots. But if you've got a guy, if you've got Kellen Grady, on that wing, yeah. or you got somebody else who can knock that. Like teams can't play you that way, and I, that's that's kind of how I see it too. I think just naturally, if you just have better players with better skill sets, guys who shoot the ball better, who are better offensively, 
naturally you're just going to see a better offensive product. And I don't think it has to be a full out. But I think that's a good question. I really do. It is a very good question. Because I've thought of it. Yeah. It is a very good Um, question. And that's the where I'm – I don't think that Cal just needs to revamp everything. Just get some better guys that can – because I think Cal is always going to want the easy baskets around there. He he likes the physicality down low, the end ones, things like that. He's very excited. He wants a lead. And another thing, too, they didn't have this year, they had nobody that could get out and transition. Once Terrence Clark was gone, and that's another thing that Kentucky's teams feed off of, and then you just add better skill set. Look at the guys. I mean, it's, it's, not the like, it's not like Kentucky's offense has sucked every single year Cal's been here. No, like, look at when they have good shooters. Like, look, 2011, very efficient clip shooting the basketball. 2012, Deron Lamb, Darius Miller, very efficient shooting the basketball. Uh, you, you go throughout and look at Jamal Murray, Tyler Ulis backcourt, a backcourt that can shoot the ball. Uh, they were just missing a post player that year. And then you come to this year, they had post, missing guards. I just don't yeah. think they've had the the years that they haven't been good. They've not had the complete package, and I don't care how much talent you have, you can't have a significant weakness, just a glaring, just visible spot that is just a hole in your roster, and get to the level that you want to get to. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And just a quick scan on Ken Palm, they ranked in the top ten uh, in offensive efficiency nationwide five times. Under Cal. So they've not done it though since 2015. Uh, no, sorry, 2016. 2016, they were fifth. That was the last time they were top 10. But 2017 was 12th, 24th, and 2018, 14th, and 2019, and then 24th last year. So this year is where it really fell off. I mean, they were all the way down to 81, but that shouldn't surprise anybody. Obviously, it was terrible. I just think maybe this year really was just a product which was very poor. Just all around, everything was bad. I mean, no reason to rehash to what happened this past year. It was just, it was bad. And I think that's by far an outlier to this era. Yeah. Even 2013 was, they were 38th, which isn't obviously compared to those other years is still bad. But I mean, this year was just a disaster. And I wouldn't expect that to be the case every year going forward. Yep. And uh, Wyatt has a question here. It says, with Kentucky reaching out to Pinson, does that mean they know a mince decision? Also, he's a quick first-step guard that would make Big O flourish like he did Tillman and then put three shooters around him, and it could be deadly. That's the thing that we're trying to figure out, right? We're, it's all backcourt focused right now. Everything is geared toward the backcourt when it comes to landing a transfer. We know Kentucky's going to be active in the transfer portal. Once the first domino falls, I think you'll see it kind of just be a wave. I really do. I think once that piece falls, and Mince is kind of the piece that's kind of holding everything up right here, in my opinion, because you don't want to get too carried away in the transfer portal if you get him back. But if he is not on this roster next season, I could see them definitely landing two backcourt pieces. I don't think it's ruled out entirely, Derek, that they land three. Yeah, that's probably where I sit right now. I think if Mince comes back, you're probably just looking at two. If he leaves, then... I mean, this is not any inside information that I have. I just I still think until he says otherwise, like I'm just gonna think Powell's coming here. So that's one guy down and if they're gonna have they six want, they're gonna have six guards on the roster. Somebody's not playing. I mean <laughs> yeah. got, I mean you can't even get guys on the practice floor sometimes. I mean you have to kinda <laughs> mix it up whenever you got that many. Um I, I do appreciate that little scouting report on Pinson. Yeah. Because I don't know a ton well, about his game. Uh I didn't watch a lot of Mizzou. I basically didn't watch any Mizzou. I didn't watch much college basketball. Is it bad that even though they've been in the SEC since for like eight years, I still in my mind don't even think they're in the SEC half the time until uh, it gets to SEC season. Like in non-conference, I don't watch them any. Worst SEC trip every year. Yeah. Basketball, regardless, it's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, But, any chance I can to talk about how much I hate going to Missouri, I'll take the – Then we have have two more – um, this one, what's more likely, K, Cal State K. Why did I say K? Lord have mercy, forgive me. Cal stays for another three years and wins one title, or he stays for another five years with just one Final Four and two Elite Eight appearances. All right, so you say he stays three years, wins one title, or what? Or another five years with just one Final Four and two Elite Eight appearances. Uh, 
Hell, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know either. I said, uh, I, I pretty much just came out and said he's going to win a national championship. Yeah, you, you better time. go with that first one. You better, you better move so, that up in three years. I'm going to say the first one. I could see him winning a title and being done. I could see him riding off into the sunset with a championship if he gets another one. So one Final Four and two Elite Eights, he said, for the other five? So that would be a total of That's pretty good run. 17 years with five Final Four appearances, one national championship. How's that remembered? I think it's – I mean, I think it's pretty – On the surface, it's probably not remembered very well, but 20 years from now, he'll be looked at as one of the best runs. If, he only went, if he's here 17 years and only wins one title, then, yes, people are going to say, how did he have all those players and only won one title? Yeah, he has but, the second one. Yeah, win a multiple just kind of – I mean, he had a chance to end all this in 2015 if he had an undefeated team. There's there's nothing you could ever say about his tenure that wouldn't be a incredible success. I still think it's been a very good success. Uh, Here's another one for you to think about, too, from him. What's the sentiment around the fan base in regards to the Cal if we're just an eight or a seven seed in next year's tourney? At least they're in the tourney. Yeah, no, I've, I've thought of that, and I think that might be – well, I don't. I just need to see the roster before I go saying things like this. I still think it will be hard to go from nine wins – to revamp in your whole roster in time to be like an elite team next year. That's, I mean, maybe maybe they'll get enough guys that they can do it. Um, but I, I think that's possible if they're only, you know, somewhere in a five to eight range. Uh, if they get to the top four, they can be one of those top 16 seeds. That's a, that's a really good turnaround, I would say, from this past year. So, I mean, we'll see who they beat next year in that scenario as you're talking about. But, no, I don't think people are – this far in his tenure with the way things are, I think they want to see him bounce back and be elite next year. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. No. And Brian is the last question in the mailbag, and I'll let you take this. Um, this was, He says, there's one for baseball, Derek. He sent two this week. Okay. Which hitter or hitters have surprised you most during the early portion of the schedule? Who do you feel is the most consistent hitter all around? I would say most consistent hitter all around is Austin Schultz, um, the leadoff guy who's been moved around a lot on defense. He's playing center field now. He, the way I would phrase this um, in SEC play, I'm pretty confident that Schultz is going to hit. And I think Rhodes, the Rhodes is not having as good of a year, which was to be expected. He didn't face any SEC pitching last year. I still think he's going to be okay. What, what was the first part to that? Just uh, who, who surprised me the most? Yeah. I guess it's got to be Ruben Church. I mean, he's pretty much earned the third base job. Um, I can confirm this. He Chase Eastep was supposed to be the third baseman to start the year, and he ended up uh, having to miss part of the season early on. I mean, and in this day and age, you can deduce why he wasn't out there. Um, but when he got back, Ruben had hit the ball so well at third that Chase is now playing second base, and it's helped the offense a lot. Yeah. So Ruben, I expect, will probably have some – you know, he's a freshman facing elite SEC pitching. So I think over the next few weekends, you're going to see him struggle. I don't know that he's going to play every single day. But as someone who you could look at as a building block for the future, he has emerged, in my opinion, and has been a really positive development for Kentucky's baseball program this, so far this season. And then Brian has a football one, too, and we'll wrap up with this. Practice reports say that the offense is going to have a variety of looks, under center, pistol, shotgun, inside versus wide zone, 11 and 12 personnel, et cetera. I expect Cohen will be able to get more touches to all of his skill players. So what do you think the run-pass ratio will look like? It's certainly not going to be leaning the way it has the last five to six years, is it, Derek? They're not going to be oh, yeah. as crazy yeah, on the run. No, You I mean, also know that they're going to get uh, Chris Rodriguez the ball a lot. I mean, I think, I think it'll probably be close to 50-50. I mean, I don't think they want to go out – Throwing it 40 times a game, I don't think that's what anybody wants. What they want, I mean, this is just so simple to say, like, when they do pass, they want to be effective. Like, they got in spots these last few years where it was like third and seven, and you felt like they had no chance to convert. And that's just like third and 30. <laughs> yeah, that's just ridiculous in this era of college basketball or college football. That offense is built around what? Being really good on first and second down to put yourself in position. Yes. Situations in third down where you can kind of play off play action, do some other things, take shots down the field. Uh, so I'm, I'm with Derek on that, but I, I do think that you're definitely going to see the ball flying around 
a lot more at Kroger Field than you have in the past. And, Derek, this has been a long episode of Kentucky Daily. And just in case I didn't read the ad in the beginning because it was an hour ago, I'm going to say this was powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky, and then a third location coming to London, Kentucky on April 15th. You can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook for more information. Derek, another successful mailbag, a full mailbag. I hope you all stuck with us through the end because even though there's a lot of speculation, a lot of unknown stuff, uh, we did our best to give our opinions and our thoughts on some situations around UK athletics. Continue to add to the mailbag. You'll get a weekly rundown episode sometime this weekend. Going to wait and make sure nothing happens between the next probably 24 to 36 hours. But you've been listening to Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terrick. He's Derek Terrick. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.